0: Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay. I'm glad you're here. So for those of you who have been listening, we've had a, a theme that is just one of the spectacular iterations of reality. The Ramban brings it in his introduction to Chumash, And it's the whole idea that Torah is black fire on white fire. So what does that mean exactly? If you look at a Torah scroll, it looks like ink on parchment. So what is this idea that the Torah is black fire on white fire? So first of all, you should know that the entire world is made out of the Torah. And I always like to tell this story. I was learning at a program called Israelite with Rabbi David Aaron in the Old City in Jerusalem. And the truth is, it's, I think, more of an introduction to Torah, but I had been learning for for a few years beforehand. Anyway, I went to the very first class, and here's how he opened up the first class on the first day. He said, what is the Torah? And someone raised their hand and said, a book of laws. And he said, very good, a book of laws. And he wrote that down on the whiteboard. And then someone else said, a book of history. And he said, very good. And he wrote down a book of history. And then I raised my hand, and I said, The Torah is the infinite, compressed into the finite. And he said, okay, let's hold off on that idea for a while. (laughs) So the Torah is the infinite, compressed into the finite. So the Torah is black fire on white fire, not just ink on parchment. So black fire is all the aspects of reality that you can perceive with your senses, your hands, your legs, the walls, the ceiling, the sky, The moon, the stars, right? Everything around you that you can actually see, that's black fire. But the Torah is not ink on parchment. That parchment is actually white fire. What's white fire? White fire is all the spiritual realms that are there that you can't see with your eyes. All the dimensions, or in the holy books they call them olamos, all the spiritual worlds, all the different dimensions. We see a very, very tiny piece of reality with our eyes. Reb Shlomo put it this way. He said, this world is like, imagine you're looking through a keyhole and you see someone is standing over another person with a knife. And you say, a murder is about to take place. And yet, inside that room, it's an operating theater And it's a surgeon about to save another person's life. We see a tiny piece of reality with our eyes in this world. There are dimensions and dimensions and dimensions, worlds upon worlds upon worlds. And that's the white fire. Now, I was privileged to hear Eitan Katz give over the following Torah on this subject. I'm giving you background. And this is a a mind-blowing pshat. He said it in the name of the Piyah Sesna Rebbe, the Esh Kodesh. An amazing, amazing, amazing Torah. The beginning of this week's Parsha, the one that we just read, Yaakov Avinu wants to send a message to his brother Esav. Esav is there with 400 soldiers, ready to wipe out the entire Jewish people, more or less at its inception. It's fascinating because it says the words actually in the Torah are Yaakov sent messengers so we would imagine that those were human messengers and that would certainly make sense but Rashi brings that Yaakov sent angels and Rashi emphasizes mamish angels actual angels sent over with this message now, that's, that's particularly interesting, because keep in mind, we're learning about white fire right now. Angels would be inhabitants of white fire, right? Remember, what are angels? Angels are just energy, how God manifests his will in this world. So what message does Yaakov send Asif? So the famous words, Im Loven garti." because it's been approximately 22 years since they've seen each other. Do you know what I've been up to over the last bunch of years? I've been living with Lovin. Now who is Lovin? So Lovin is his uncle, but Lovin is like a really evil dude, like really evil. Kabbalistically, Lovin is the reincarnation of the snake from the Garden of Eden, or at least that energy. And Levin, in turn, will become reincarnated as Bilaam, who tries to curse the Jews and eliminate the Jews. So he's really from one of the most impressively evil (laughs) lines that exist, period. And, of course, Levin tries to kill this sapling of the Jewish people before it even gets a chance to almost get killed by Asaph. So what message is Yaakov sending to Aesav? Im, lovin, garti. I've been living with loven. Now famously, the word garti is Gematria 613. So encoded in that message is, while I've been living in the most unhospitable climate to spirituality in the entire world, I have been successful in keeping all 613 mitzvahs. So just be aware of who you're dealing with, Asaph. That's the surface level. Now let me tell you what the PSS says Rebbe says. Unbelievable Torah. Im lovin garti. Lovin means the word white. It's just take a moment to appreciate that before we... Get into the deeper Torah here. Isn't it interesting that the evil person's name is white? Meaning to say that evil really has no shame. Evil has no shame. And an aspect of the chutzpah of evil is that it will openly and enthusiastically present itself as righteousness with no compunction. You see today representatives of Hamas saying that the events of October 7th never happened. Or if they happened, they didn't happen to any civilians. The, the, The level of evil that it takes to publicly make statements like that, if you want to say we're in a war, not that there's any justification for this whatsoever, but if you want to say we're in a war and we justify it for for these reasons, all right i we strongly disagree, and we'll go to war to stop you from doing it again, but uh, openly deny that you did what you did when you did it on such a grand scale is outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. This is the idea that Lovin's name is white. That evil presents itself as purity and righteousness, which is alarming. It's actually, actually alarming. It's alarming. Okay, now let's get to it's amazing, amazing thought. Im lovin garti. We said lovin means white. So this is referring to the white fire of the Torah. Yaakov is informing Esav, do you know where I live? Im lovin garti. I live in the white fire of the Torah. You, Asav, are a conqueror. You're a warrior. Your dominion is the realms that are visible with the eye. But I'm beyond that. I'm dwelling in the realms of the white fire, of the unseen dimensions. So know who you're about to confront. That's, that, that's one of the great Torahs, by the way. That's one of the great Torahs, in my opinion. Famously takes three approaches when he meets with asaph before he meets with asaph He prays to God, he readies himself to wage war, and he prepares gifts to give to asaph that perhaps those gifts will appease him and will avoid the necessity of open conflict. And it says in the Talmud that before the sages would meet with the Roman officials, that they would study this chapter of Yaakov's confrontation with Esav to get inspiration and strength of how to deal with government authorities. And so so before that meeting takes place, there's an epic event, one of the most amazing events in the entire Torah, where Yaakov splits his family into two encampments, saying that if Asav attacks one, at least the other one will survive. And then Yaakov remembers that he left something across the Yabok River, some possessions. And then there's a very interesting Rashi there, which is that the possessions of tzaddikim, of very holy people, are extremely valuable to them because they, they, they conduct their lives with such honesty that they know that anything that God, that, that, that they have, any possession that they have is a gift directly from God. That's that's an amazing idea. That's an amazing idea, because usually we we don't want to give too much importance to our material possessions. But if a person lives a life of righteousness, they can know that the possessions that they have are gifts straight from God. And so therefore those possessions become extra valuable and extra precious. You know, famously, there was a rich man who visited the the Chovitz Chaim, and the Chovitz Chaim was world famous as you know maybe the greatest rabbi among the Jewish people in his day. This is the early 1900s, and this rich man looked inside the house of the Chovitz Chaim, and he was amazed that he had almost no possessions whatsoever. And he said to the Chovitz Chaim, where, where are all your things, right? And the Chovetz Chaim says back to him, where are all your things? And the, the rich man says, oh, I'm just passing through. And the Chovetz Chayim sa- said, so am I. <laughs> that, that idea that this world is a, a temporary place. It's a beautiful place but it's a temporary place. This is part of the beauty of of Judaism. Many religions look at this world as this cursed entity that you just have to get through in order to get to heaven. In fact, I'll tell you a very alarming piece of history. This took place in the Christian world. This is documented. You can research this. Suicide is illegal. In Judaism as well, it's considered murder, and you absolutely can't do it. It's one of the worst, worst, worst offenses. And in Christianity as well, you can't kill yourself. But there were some people, and this became an issue in the Catholic Church, that they had to figure out how to stop. There were some people who wanted to die Because they looked at this world as an evil place and they wanted to go to heaven. But they knew they couldn't kill themselves. Now, this is alarming, what I'm going to tell you. They would kill a child. Because they knew that the punishment for killing a child was the death penalty. So since they couldn't kill themselves, they would commit a crime that would get them killed. Now, what is the morality behind the idea of killing a child, like you would say that that would be the worst offense in the world? From their perspective, they were saving the child since this world is a horrible place and they were doing the child a favor. So in their skewed perspective, they were saving the child and saving themselves by killing the child and getting themselves murdered. That's not how Jews look at the world. We say, this is a beautiful world. In all of its brokenness, in all of its brokenness, this is still a beautiful world. You know, I, I, I was at a someone's table a few months ago. And there was a 16 year old girl there that said something that blows my mind to this day. You know, as one question that always crops up is how is it possible that the Holocaust happened, right? Everyone asks this question. And this is what this 16 year old girl said. She said, I don't know, which is the right answer. But I want to tell you how I understand. She said, When I look at the world, I see so much beauty. There is such a phenomenal level of beauty in this world. And I know that the one God who puts so much beauty in this world can be trusted. And even though I don't understand why this happened, I trust the one who created so much beauty. So, so Yaakov is about to battle an angel. This is a unique event, a unique event in world history. And this is, angel is the ministering angel of Esav of his brother who is prepared to kill him has 400 soldiers lined up to kill him so Yaakov realizing that he's got possessions on the other side of this Yabok river goes to retrieve them and he's all alone and while he's all alone he has this wrestling match With the angel. Now I want to go deeper now. The word Yabok. This river. Is Gematria 112. Now 112 is like one of these numbers. That you should remember. Because it's a very holy number. And I'm going to tell you why in a moment. And when you get an idea. What does it mean that he crossed over the river? Was it just. A little tiny stream body of water or is the Torah saying something phenomenally deep right now okay remember all of reality is contained within the Torah as we said God created the entire world out of the Torah so every single letter every single word is existing on phenomenally deep multiple levels so we can understand it on one hand as a river, but now I'm going to give you a much more expansive understanding of what it means. We know that if you were to take an X-ray of the universe, there would be 10 sphero, these 10 fundamental energies. And these 10 sphero can be divided up into the upper three, the middle six, and the lower one. There's a phenomenal... Amount of Kabbalah and just rivers and rivers of ink that are done to explore what the spheroid are and how they interact and everything like this. But it's basically divine energy. That's that's a simple way to understand it. At different wavelengths. And when God compresses all of these energies together, just like Einstein said energy becomes mass, this divine energy becomes the physical universe. So you have the top three, that's Chach, Mabina, and Das. The first letters of that spell Chabad, if you want to know where the name Chabad comes from. The middle six, it's drawing down that energy, and the lower one is this dimension that we live in, Kabbalistically known as Malchus. Now, there's a divine name, the Ari, HaKodesh, pinpoints a divine name that correlates with these three sections of the Ten Sphero. And, of course, we're only talking about one God. God is one. As we said, God is one of the symbols of God is the letter Aleph, the oneness of God. And, of course, the Aleph is composed of three letters. There's the Yud above, and then the, and then a diagonal vav and a yud below. And that adds up to 26, which is God's holiest name. So everything is worlds within worlds, within worlds, within worlds, within worlds. That's why, like, like the atom is so amazing, right? Worlds within worlds, within worlds, within worlds, within worlds. Within worlds, within worlds. You know, it's, it's a homonym, and it's in English. So that's two reasons to dismiss what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> but I am intrigued by the fact that, at least to the ear, Adam, as in the first person, as in the, the person whose all of our souls are contained within, the prototype of humanity, Adam and Atom are pretty close, aren't they? Feel free to dismiss it but it's kind of cool. (laughs) Okay. So what about these three divine names? So the divine name associated with the top three is Echia. The middle six is Yudke Vavke. And the bottom one is Adnus, Aleph, Dalud, Nun, and Yud. And those three names in Hebrew add up to 112, which is the Gematria of the Abok River. Ah, so now let's put it all together. When Yaakov crossed this river to wrestle with an angel, he was scaling the heights of all of reality. He was going from this world to the highest, highest sphere, to the highest levels. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. It's awesome. Okay, so now listen to this. At the highest level, there is no evil. There's only God. Evil is a creation. There is not God and the devil, and they're having this big wrestling match. Who's going to win? That's not Judaism. Judaism is there is only one power, and that's Hashem, period, end, end of discussion. But God created this world unfinished, Right? The world is still in the process of being completed. All of us are part of this epic journey that God created us to be partners with him to complete the world. And if you think that in the Garden of Eden that the world was perfect and then we just messed it up and all of human history is getting back to zero, you're wrong. You don't know what Judaism is teaching. The world was never fully finished. And if you want proof of that, Reb Shlomo said it so simply and so beautifully. If the Garden of Eden was so perfect, what was the snake doing there? There it is. You got it all right there. The world was incomplete. It was mostly complete, but not fully complete. We had to do two things, basically. Not listen to the snake, and eat from the tree of life. We listened to the snake, and we didn't eat from the tree of life. And that brings us to today, doesn't it? (laughs) But we're making progress. We're getting closer. Every day we get closer. You know, I heard Reb Shlomo say one time, every generation gets closer to Mashiach. And you you can be excused if you say it looks like we're treading water and we keep on making the same mistakes. And Reb Shlomo had a very amazing answer to that. He said, we're making different mistakes. They may look like the same mistakes, but they're different mistakes. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. You don't want to be making the same mistake over and over again. So we are learning, but... It's complicated. It's complicated. So now listen to this. What is Yaakov doing all the way up there? We just said he crossed the Yabok River, which is 112, but 112 also brings us up the chain of the Sphere. Out. What is he doing up there? Well, believe it or not, there's another opinion of who Yaakov wrestled with. The famous explanation is that he wrestled, as we said, with the angel of Asaph. But now listen to this. The Torah actually says, if you want to just look at the words of the Torah, and Yaakov was all alone. And then it says he wrestled with an angel. According to some commentators, the wrestling match was with himself. And with those aspects of himself, that needed to be conquered and redeemed. Okay, so does he have to go all the way up to the top of heaven in order to do that? And the answer is yes. Because I want to connect this to another teaching from the Medrash, which is that when Yaakov has a dream, a few parshas ago, he dreams of a ladder going all the way to the heavens. The bottom is on the earth and it goes all the way up to the heavens and there are angels going up and angels going down. Now, the Midrash, you know, you got to love Judaism. You got to love Torah. You have to. You know why? Because if you told me that he dreams of a ladder and there are angels going up and angels going down, I'm more than satisfied right there. (laughs) You don't have to tell me anything else. That's awesome. It's like the ladder's all the way on the earth and it's going all the way up to the heavens and there are angels going up and down. That's a full meal right there. I'm very, very happy. So the rabbis say, what are the angels going up for and what are the angels coming down for? The fact that you can take a magnificent teaching like that and then not stop and uh, drill down and apply analysis and expect cogent answers from your interrogation is phenomenal. That's Torah. So the metr says that on the kisei akavid, the throne of glory, which is not a chair floating in outer space, right? These are just imagery that, that we have to try to wrap our minds around things. And it's not at the top of heaven. Okay? It's in the second rung just so you know. It's in the world of Berea, which is under Atzilus. for those of you familiar with these ideas. Anyway, there's a face on the Kisei HaKavit, on the throne of glory, and it's the face of Yaakov. And the Medrash says that the angels saw Yaakov sleeping on the ground below. And they were going up and they were looking at the face of this tzaddik, of this realized human being, and they wanted to know, does the image of this person above match the image of him below? That's why they were going up and down. And so with that in mind, I'd like to suggest that was the wrestling match that Yaakov Avinu was having with himself at the top of heaven to make sure that he was the person that he was capable of being. And so this now goes from perhaps a very esoteric, mystical teaching to something that's incredibly applicable to you and me right now. There is a you above and there is a you below. And I heard Reb Shlomo teach, who are the people who are alive in this world And who are the people who are dead in this world? Because as the Talmud teaches, you can be walking around and be 100% dead. Perhaps, perhaps, this is why popular culture is so obsessed with the idea of zombies. Because the Talmud is teaching about the walking dead. I mean, what percentage of humanity actually falls into the category of the walking dead? It would be interesting to know. Those people who are wicked are called the walking dead. Those people who are asleep are called the walking dead. So, Reb Shlomo says... There's a you above and a you below. If you're connected to the you above, you're alive. If you're disconnected from the you above, you're dead. So Yaakov Avinu wants to make sure. Not just am I connected to the you above or to the the me above. Am I the me above? Am I the me above? When Abraham Avinu is about to sacrifice Yitzchak, and by the way, very important, God never asks him to kill him. Just asks him to put him on this altar. But he knows that Avraham is going to misunderstand him, and that's the nature of the test. Avraham thinks that that's what God wants, but it's important to know that God never asked him to do that, and in fact didn't want that. But he wanted to see if Avraham would do it, would be willing to do it. Actually, it's deeper than that. According to the Zohar, there was no question that Avraham would have done it because he, there was nothing that he wouldn't have given, given to God. According to the Zohar, the real test was that God said to Avraham, all of your descendants are going to come from Yitzchak and you're going to have many, many, many descendants from Yitzchak. And then he tells him, Kill Yitzchak. That's what Avraham thinks, God says. So now, Avraham's test is the following Can I serve a God who contradicts himself? That was the test. And from Avraham's perspective, look at what the stakes are. It's not just Avraham sell this piece of property. Or, Abraham, donate this. He thinks he's saying, kill your son. So, literally, everything is on the line. Can I serve a God who seems to contradict himself? That was the test. So, Abraham is ready to do it because he's connected to God in the deepest, highest way. And then, when God sees that he's ready to do it, the angel says the following. And this is why I'm telling you this Avraham, Avraham. And then he goes and tells him not to do it. So now, listen to this. What does that mean, Avraham, Avraham? Why did he repeat his name at that moment? And I don't know who said it, but someone very, very, very great. At that moment, the Avraham below reached the Avraham above. I have the chills? It's awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, so what about us? Let's just make it real about us. The the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. There's some martial art where you use the momentum of the person against themselves. That's Akita. So the Yetzohara is the Grand Master of Akita. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. The whole reason why I want to improve myself and I want to improve the world is because I'm a person of truth. Right? So the Yetzohara, the negative inclination says, Oh, that's very nice that you're a person of truth. I really respect that. That's really amazing. So you're just going to do part of the mitzvah? You're not going to do the entire mitzvah? That kind of actually makes you a hypocrite, doesn't it? So if you're really a person of truth, and you're not going to do the entire mitzvah, you shouldn't even do part of the mitzvah, because otherwise, you're a liar. You're not a person of truth. Wow! That is the snake in the Garden of Eden talking. That was so persuasive. And yet, what is the end result. I stopped you from doing something good. That's the end result. I convinced you that a little bit is not only nothing, but a little bit is evil. But wait, if the mitzvah is infinite, that means part of the mitzvah is infinite. That means that it's good to even do a little bit of the mitzvah. So that's how the Sahara gets us. It uses our own goodness against ourselves to shut us down. And the imagery that I always am drawn to is you're walking down the street and you see a homeless person laying across the sidewalk. And you say to yourself, this poor guy, when's the last time he had a good meal? When's the last time he had a steak dinner? You know what, I'm going to do it. I, I got some money. I'm going to give that guy a steak dinner. You reach in your pocket, you pull out $5, that's all the cash that you have, and you say, $5 is not going to buy a mistake dinner, and you keep on walking. Meanwhile, that guy would have loved your $5. He would have loved that $5. But you say, uh, oh, $5, what's $5? For him, $5 is something. Your soul is that homeless person. And you say to yourself, well, I would like to do this entire mitzvah. I would like to keep an entire Shabbos. But I can't keep a whole Shabbos, so I'll do nothing. Meanwhile, your soul is like, go to a Friday night dinner. <laughs> like, anything. Here, kiddush. Eat some challah. Do anything. I'll take anything. So you, you, can't, you can't fall into this trap of all or nothing. Because it's a lie. Because all of life's improvements happens in steps and if we don't allow ourselves to take small steps then 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 how can we arrive at the destination my whole life has been a series of small steps I mean I'm getting up at a quarter after five in the morning right now and I am often the one opening up The door with the keys to let the other people in before 6 o'clock in the morning. If you told me this 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. I would have told you, you're not living in reality. Do you have any idea the life that I'm living? But a tiny step, and then another tiny step, and then sometimes you fall five steps backwards, but then you get back up, and it's a tiny step and a tiny step. And then before you know it, you're jumping out of bed at a quarter after five in the morning. It's real. And I'm telling you it's real because I'm talking about myself right now. So I was thinking about enzymes. So imagine an enzyme in your stomach, right? And imagine that this enzyme, like just stand in the shoes of this enzyme in your stomach, (laughs) And your enzyme is thinking the following. I got this job. I enjoy skiing. I enjoy travel. Russian literature, right? And yeah, you know, I also digest some food. You know, when I've got some time, I digest some food. So, here's the thing. No, you're an enzyme. (laughs) All you're there for is to digest food. (laughs) I get that you think that you've got this separate life other than digesting food, and I applaud your variety of interests. (laughs) But can can we be real for a moment? You're only there to digest food. So that's us. We're we're that enzyme, and I mean this in a, in a very, very real way right now. We've got so many different interests and so many different things to do, and everything is taking up all of our time. And also, you know, I do some mitzvahs, try to do some mitzvahs, but in my mind, it's really extra credit. I don't really need it. I'm, I'm a pretty, I mean, I don't want to brag, but I'm a pretty good person. I'm nice. I'm nice. This is something that I can be a little extra credit nice. Now I'm even nicer, right? Because I don't have to do that. Forget about the fact that you're commanded to do it. That you're actually commanded to do it. No, 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 you know, I just... Because a mitzvah, when I grew up, the word mitzvah was translated as a good deed. That means it's 100% extra credit. This world isn't finished yet. This world is a clump of undigested energy. It's this lump of darkness, dark matter, dark energy. We are the enzymes. Through our effort, we were created to digest the darkness and to turn it into light. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. And if we fantasize and delude ourselves into thinking that I've got a very rich life with lots and lots of interests, and I lose sight of why there's a world, and why I'm here, and what I'm supposed to be doing, and what the game plan and the destiny of creation is, it's tragic. On the other hand, if I realize that God created me on the front lines of finishing the most epic project in history, I'm on the front lines in terms of pushing the darkness and creating light and transforming the entire world, that's awesome. And in terms of my other interests, that's the beauty of this world. Of course God put beauty in this world and richness of this, in this world and wants us to take part in it. It says in the Talmud Yer Shalmi that if there's a, a, a fruit in the world that we didn't taste, at the end of our life, we're going to have to give an explanation why we didn't participate and take part in the beauty and the pleasure of this world if it was permissible and we didn't do it. We didn't have a chance to enjoy God's goodness in the world, we are going to have to give an explanation for that. So not only does God create beauty intentionally, He wants us to explore it and to bask in it, to bask in His goodness, but not at the price of losing sight of why there's a world and why there's in us. The the Yetzirah, the evil inclination one of its big arguments against us, and this is what I would call like, I think it's jujitsu, or maybe it's judo, I don't know. But there's some martial art where you use the momentum of the person against themselves. Akira. That's akido, yeah. okay. So in akido, you use the momentum of the person against themselves. So the Sahara is like, the Grand Master of Akita. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. The whole reason why I want to improve myself and I want to improve the world is because I'm a person of truth. Right? So the Yetz the negative inclination says, oh, that's very nice that you're a person of truth. I really respect that. That's really amazing. So you're just going to do part of the mitzvah. You're not going to do the entire mitzvah that kind of actually makes you a hypocrite, doesn't it? So if you're really a person of truth and you're not going to do the entire mitzvah, you shouldn't even do part of the mitzvah because otherwise you're a liar. You're not a person of truth. Wow, that is the snake in the Garden of Eden talking. That was so persuasive. And yet what is the end result? I stopped you from doing something good. That's the end result. I convinced you that a little bit is not only nothing, but a little bit is evil. But wait, if the mitzvah is infinite, that means part of the mitzvah is infinite. That means that it's good to even do a little bit of the mitzvah. So that's how the Yitzhakara gets us. It uses our own goodness against ourselves to shut us down. And the imagery that I always am drawn to is you're walking down the street and you see a homeless person laying across the sidewalk. And you say to yourself, this poor guy, when's the last time he had a good meal? When's the last time he had a steak dinner? You know what, I'm going to do it. I I got some money, I'm going to give that guy a steak dinner. You reach in your pocket, you pull out $5, that's all the cash that you have, and you say, $5 is not going to buy him a steak dinner, and you keep on walking. Meanwhile, that guy would have loved your $5. He would have loved that $5. But you say, ah, $5, what's $5? For him, $5 is something. Your soul is that homeless person. And you say to yourself, well, I would like to do this entire mitzvah. I would like to keep an entire Shabbos. But I can't keep a whole Shabbos, so I'll do nothing. Meanwhile, your soul is like, go to a Friday night dinner, (laughs) like anything. Here, Kiddush, eat some challah. Do anything. I'll take anything. So you, you, can't, you can't fall into this trap of all or nothing, because it's a lie, because all of life's improvements happens in steps. And if we don't allow ourselves to take small steps, then then, then how can we arrive at the destination? My whole life has been a series of small steps. I mean, I'm getting up at a quarter after five in the morning right now, and I am often the one opening up the door with the keys to let the other people in before six o'clock in the morning. If you told me this 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. I would have told you you're not living in reality. Do you have any idea the life that I'm living? But a tiny step and then another tiny step, and then sometimes you fall five steps backwards, but then you get back up, and it's a tiny step and a tiny step, and then before you know it, you're jumping out of bed at a quarter after five in the morning. It's real, and I'm telling you it's real because I'm talking about myself right now. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us, and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.